Well, today being Communion Sunday, as we've been going through the book of Romans, I was rereading in chapter 6, and I thought, well, how appropriate. Let's read those first 10 verses of Romans 6 to, to start today. And, and as we read, consider how often it talks about Jesus, His death, His resurrection. See how often it talks about us having died with Christ and will be raised together with Him. In other words, united with Christ, with Him in Christ. And people perhaps would ask, well, why, why do you folks at AVCC, why do you do communion once a month? And, and my response is pretty much always the same. Uh, we, we do this because of who He is, because of what He has done, and because of what He has asked us to do. And also, I've started adding this, because of who He is to me and to the born-again believer, to those who are in Christ. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. And I pray that today as we, as we go through a bunch of verses and, and we read some things, that, that this, this is a reminder for us that we would never forget. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ instituted this. I'm so thankful because it gives us that opportunity to pause and reflect again upon the cross and upon Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for the remission of sin. So let's read Romans 6, chapter verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as, as we come to your word, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most importantly, who we are not, 
make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Jesus died to sin once for all. No other sacrifice for sin is ever needed. No other sacrifice for sin was ever efficient and sufficient. But Jesus paid it all. Amen? Through His sacrifice, through His blood shed upon the cross, Jesus came to this earth that He created for a purpose in obedience to God the Father. And that purpose was to go to the cross. To be the sacrifice for sin. To take upon Himself the penalty for sin for all who believe that we might become the righteousness of God. Perhaps you have this memorized by now, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For He, God the Father, made Him, you see Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, for He made Him who knew no sin, and that was Christ, the perfect one who knew no sin. But, he, but God the Father made His only begotten Son who knew no sin to be what? To be sin. For us. For me. For you. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's through Christ and Christ alone. For all who by grace through faith believe, who have repented of their sins and confessed Jesus as Lord, we have died with Christ. Now, do we understand what that means? Uh, we've been going through this in chapter 5 in Romans and, 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 and coming through here talking about who we all once were. Uh, uh, the first man, Adam. And everyone born of Adam and all die in Adam. But in Christ, the second man, Adam, for those who believe, we live with Him. We live with Him. The old man died. The one whose identity was only in the first man, Adam. The sinful person who was spiritually dead. Now, in Christ, has been brought to newness of life. Resurrected with Christ. You know, I liken it to the story of Lazarus. And I know I've said this quite often, and I love a song that the group Greater Vision sings and talking about Lazarus. And To me, yes, it's a picture in the grave. Yes, a picture of Christ in the tomb. But also I see that as me, dead in my trespasses and sins. Bound in, in, in sin. But then one day, the Lord called my name. Just like He did Lazarus. Called His name. The grave clothes came off. Un- take them off. And He came forth in newness of life. Isn't that what happened to us? Child of God? All once dead in our trespasses and sins, but one day, by the mercy and grace of God, He called our name. The Spirit breathed upon us. 
born of God, born again, born of the Spirit. (laughs) I love that lyric that we just sang, born of the Spirit. Now I can see. You see, but before before the Spirit of God came, the, the message of the cross was foolishness to me and was to you too. But having been born of the Spirit, now all the promises of God are, are coming alive. So born of the Spirit, now I can see. You see, for those who are born of God, we are no longer in the realm of sin and death, but we are in the realm, the domain of righteousness and grace. As I was considering all these things, I was I was looking through some old sermon notes and things and and I, I, I got looking at uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And if you're not familiar with that, th- this was written in uh, 1563. And it was a used as a standard of unity for the Reformed Church and for what they believe. And, and it was what it was, it was a, it was a, a series of questions and answers that you could go, and the answers were Scripture that, that you could go through, and, and they were telling why they believed what they believed. And, and this all filtered down, because the Reformation is pretty much believed to have, have started, what, 1517, when Luther nailed that thesis on the, on, on the wall or on the, the door of the church in, in opposition to what Catholicism was teaching. Uh, I think I wrote the title of it down. The title of this thing was The Disputation on the Power of Indulgences, which Catholicism still hangs on to. Though there's no biblical answer that they can give. But anyway, in in looking in in the catechism, here is question 75. It says, How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all His benefits. As I read that question, I thought that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this very thing, the sacrifice of Christ and of what we, in Christ, the benefits. The benefits. And here's the answer. It says, in this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of Him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely His body was offered and broken for me and His blood poured out for me on the cross. So for those who later are going to come, as surely as you can pick up that little piece of bread and hold on to it, that's how sure it is that Christ died on the cross for you. This is my body broken for you. It's not His actual body. He's talking uh, symbolism. Consider what He said. As he took the cup, as surely as you can take that cup and you can drink it, that's as sure as it is that Christ's blood was poured out for you. Let me go on. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord 
given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. It's the Lord who refreshes our soul, is it not? And here's a reminder that we are in Christ and it is He and His Word. His his Word is the nourishment that we need that we would feed on Him. In Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Likewise also... He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The new covenant in my blood. We're not going to get in today into the new covenant in the Old Testament, but read read Hebrews 8, 9, 10, 11. Read read from Hebrews yourself and and, and see of what what God said, and I will make a new covenant. With them. Let me go on. In the Catechism, question 76 refers to uh, what it means to eat the bread and to drink the cup of communion. And the answer it gives is this It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and thereby to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Having accepted, having accepted Christ. You know that. As I say often, there is nothing in that vessel that will save you. If you come up a sinner in an unworthy manner, you're you're just reaping condemnation upon yourself. This is for the redeemed, those who have been born again. And they can come and this be a reminder, a remembrance for them. But it means more through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. We are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. We're united with Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us in John 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Brian, this morning you read from Micah and and the the prophecy that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. You, You remember what Bethlehem, what the translation of Bethlehem is? House of bread. That's not a coincidence. That Jesus Christ, who would say, I am the bread of life, was born in the city house of bread. (laughs) I I love the little simple things like that. In John 6, verse 40. And this is the will of Him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son, Jesus Christ, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Raise Him up. I believe that's talking about resurrection and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 
in Romans 8, verse 11, in talking about being of one spirit. But if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Resurrection power. In Ephesians 5, verse 30, For we are members of His body and the flesh we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones, united with Christ, you see, in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. There is only one way to God the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ. There are not many ways and varied ways to God. There is only one. And one Spirit. One Father. One way to the Father. Jesus Christ. Let's read Romans 8. I want to read a pretty good section here. We're going to go from verse 9 through verse 17 in Romans 8. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now let me pause. Now we've talked about this. What's this talk? But well, wait a minute, I, I am still in the flesh. Identity. You, you're, you identify with Christ now. You're spiritually alive. The old man has died. Yes, you're still in the flesh. You're still in this mortal body. But you're a redeemed soul. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Do we get that? Every born-again believer has the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in them. There's no working and working and working to receive the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you're saved. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. One body. One Spirit. 1 John 4 verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His what? 
Spirit. This is how we know. How do you know if you're born again? The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are. This, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. 1 John 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. I want to look at one more question from the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's question 81. And it asks this question, who should come to the Lord's table? That's an important question. And I've already kind of alluded to that. This table is for those who are born again. But, but I have known people that, that I at least I believed them to be born again. But because of their struggle with sin, because of the battles they were facing, they were saying, I, I'm, just, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to come to the table. And perhaps you have felt that way yourself at times. But this is for those who are born again. This is for those who who recognize their sin. This is for those who have a broken and contrite heart. If, If you're struggling, you're not alone. And this is for you to come knowing that He died for sin. Yes, I come not because I'm worthy. I come because He's worthy. Here's the answer that it gives in the catechism to that. Who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. (laughs) But who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So who comes? The born again. The repentant. The humble. The contrite before the Lord. The proud. The hypocrite. The unrepentant need not come because they only are drinking judgment upon themselves if they do. That's the ones who would be coming in an unworthy manner. Every born-again believer should come. Should come. And as we would come, may the Lord's Supper cause us to remember not just the past of what Christ has done but to think of what Christ is for us even today. Today and forevermore. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, I don't know, has anybody got King James Version that you're looking at? Have you got it? Does King James say communion there? I, I bet it does. I didn't look that one up. 
but but this well, communion. What does what does that mean to have communion with Christ? And I want to read it from the ESV translation. Chase, if you'd put that up. Now look, it, it, it translates the word communion differently. The cup of blessings that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ. I, I, I believe that's a better rendering for us to for us to understand. Because that word, the Greek word translated as communion or participation here in the ESV is a Greek word that, that many of us are familiar with, and we've talked about this before. It's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia, which means partnership, means participation or fellowship. Uh, you read a Piper quote? Let me read one today too uh, from John Piper. He says this, quote, You see, there is something more going on when we come to this table than just a mental exercise of remembering something that happened some 2,000 years ago. But rather, Paul says, child of God, you are entering into the story. When you take this bread and you take this cup, you are participating. You're having fellowship. You're having communion with Christ. That we should have a real sense of the presence of Christ when we come to the table. Not a real physical presence as some would believe, and we know who he's referring to, right? As some would believe, but in the reality of a true spiritual sense. Joining us together in one spirit, bringing us up to Christ, having been seated in the heavenly places. End quote. Because that's us. We're being lifted up to Christ who is in the heavenly places. And so we come and we remember that we're united with Christ. We are in Christ. And we have koinonia, participation, communion, fellowship with Him. With Him. So when we come, it's not just to Yes, we remember what He did some 2,000 years ago. But it's also to be very thankful for what He is to me today. Today. Also, remember this. When we participate in communion, in the Lord's Supper, we are announcing something to the world, are we not? We're announcing that the Lord Jesus died for my sins. We're also announcing that He is coming again. And I will wait for Him and I will proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Till He comes again. Is He coming back? Yes. Yes, He is. He's coming back. Not not meek and lowly, born in a manger. But as Lord God Almighty. So with anticipation, we can come to the Lord's Supper. Knowing that He is coming back. And so we, we come with a, with a sense of hope and expectation. Because we know He's coming back. And, and this I know, whether He comes back and takes us all together, or whether He just comes back and takes me and the world keeps going on, He's coming back. He's coming back. And this I also know. We, 
we come here and we, we call this the Lord's Supper. I call it the Lord's Supper because that's what Paul called it. So that we come to the Lord's Supper and I also know because of great expectation, there's another supper coming. Isn't there? Revelation 19, verses 6-7. through 7. The marriage supper of the Lamb where Christ and His bride will be united together forevermore, having fellowship, having koinonia forever. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns! Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory! For the marriage of the Lamb has come! And his wife has made herself ready. Who's the wife of Christ? Who is the bride of Christ? It's the church. It's the church. If you're born again, that's you. Those who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Same chapter, verse 9 in Revelation 19. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Aren't you thankful, child of God, that one day he called you? Because within that calling was also this invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise his holy name. The child of God, when we come to the table, I'll let us come with a sense of expectation and hope, knowing there's a greater supper coming, there's glory coming, that, that I will one day feast with Christ and, and I'll have fellowship with Him forevermore, with Him who has redeemed me by His blood. This was the cry in, in Revelation 5, wasn't it? Of, of those around the throne that, that John saw. They praise the Lamb that was slain. We, we, we sang a song this, this morning that had that lyric in it. Revelation 5, verses 9 through 13. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Child of God, may we come to the table praising the Lamb that was slain for our sins. The Lamb of God that redeemed us to God by His blood. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. 
knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the lamb that was slain. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May we give thanks. Child of God, knowing that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Because without His death upon the cross, without His blood being shed upon the cross, for the remission of sin, where would we be? Still in darkness. Still dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where we would be. So may we come to the table with thanksgiving and praise. Hope and expectation. Psalms 107, first two verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forevermore. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I love that verse. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that God is good, and that He has redeemed me from the hand of the enemy. (laughs) For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. (laughs) He's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. So the Lord's table is for the redeemed. (laughs) Those who have been born again, born of the Spirit, those who by grace through faith have believed unto salvation. And So I I always want to ask this question for anyone who may be here or may listen to this sermon at a later time. I would ask this. Do you believe? Have you been redeemed? Have your sins been forgiven? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, having confessed your sins before Him? John 6, verse 40. That this, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you believe? And is that belief unto salvation? Just let me add that. Because I know this, the Word of God says that even Satan and his demons, they believe. They know who Christ is. And they know their end that's coming someday. But they're not redeemed. So is your belief under salvation? Well, how do I know? We talked about it already. The Spirit of God will be in you. And your desire will be for Him. Does it mean you'll be perfect while you're yet walking on this earth? No, it doesn't. We'll still stumble and fall. But when we do, the true child of God will at some point be convicted and repent. The, the Lord won't leave His sheep out there to wander in sin. He will come for them. And perhaps through discipline and maybe great pain on our part, He will bring us back. 
Do you know Him? Do you believe? John 3, verse 36. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. <clears throat> but, but look at this. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, everlasting life, spiritual life. But the wrath of God abides on him. For the believer, righteousness in Christ. For the unbeliever, the wrath of God. It's only two options. Believers, unbelievers. John 3, verses 14 through 16. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Referring to being lifted up on the cross. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is it an important question that when I ask it, do you believe? Yes, it is. Because the right answer to that, or the, the answer to that determines your eternal destination. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that is one day going to come and fall upon all unbelievers. That's what you're going to be saved from. Saved from wrath. For the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made and the salvation for the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. See, there's no, there's, there's no different paths. There's one path, and it's Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The Jew doesn't have a special deal for them to get to heaven apart from Christ. You understand that, right? It's only Christ and in Christ. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. And Lord, for the born again that are here, let, let it just be a reminder for us of what you have done, Lord, in giving Your only begotten Son. And of what Christ has done in coming in obedience to You, Father, and giving Himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. That, that Jesus Christ, as it were, our great High Priest, went through the veil, shedding His own blood upon the mercy seat. That... that no more will a priest ever have to go do that because he has done it once for all and the veil of the temple was torn into. No need for that anymore because Christ is now our veil. And we know, Father, from Your Word, to come to You, we must come through Christ. And so, Lord, we give You thanks. And, and help, help us, Lord, to remember what Christ has done. Help us to remember 
who we are in Christ. And Lord, help us that we may live out who we are while yet walking in this mortal body on this earth. Help us to be a light to shine in the dark darkness. Lord, help us that we would never be ashamed, that we would never put a, a basket over our light, but we would let our light shine. And Father, help us to be a witness for You. Help us to see the opportunities that we would never be so busy and caught up in ourselves that we would miss an opportunity to share the love of Christ with someone. And Father, should there be any unbelievers either here or listening to this sermon, I pray, Father, that You would perform a miracle of salvation. A miracle by Your grace and mercy. That by grace, Father, that You would shine light into a dark place. That by a great moving of the Holy Spirit, You would draw them to Yourself. That You would call them by name. And Father, they would have that spiritual resurrection. And upon seeing You, and knowing who they are as a sinner, they would tremble and bow before You, confessing their sins. And receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, then help them to live out and bear the fruit of righteousness while here on this earth. So Lord, as we're getting closer to to the Lord's table, Help us, Father. Help us to be broken and contrite before You. Help us to give thanks. Help us to come with great hope and expectation of what is yet to come. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.